The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 332, broadcasting live on RageWorks for February 3rd, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Our MMA and wrestling shows air every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And our gaming and entertainment editions air every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. As you can see, we have video somewhat. It's a long story. And uh, studio's kind of in session. Uh, As you can see, you're probably wondering why there is a big green wall behind me. Uh, Originally, uh, we had planned to do something very cool with that. Uh, we are still in process of figuring that out, but we wanted to get some video up and running, and with that, we figured might as well get the ball rolling and crack open the new studio. Uh, still trying to get camera angles under control and lighting under control. Um, people are telling me that YouTube is definitely choppy, uh, which is weird. I'm presuming it's just because of Restream IO. Thank you for that, uh, Jimbo Slice, for the update. Uh, definitely want to look into that. As always, definitely use uh, video playback is at high speed, according to Slick. Oh, we got all kinds of mayhem. Fast as in chipmunk speed fast or fast as in, like, sped up? Because I, I can't see the stuff, so you guys definitely got to let me know. Uh, communicate from Slick. It pauses, then catches up really fast. Mid-chipmunk. Hmm. All right, I'm going to have to look into that. Hopefully, it'll resolve itself. Try and refresh. Let me know how that works. If not, as always, video of this episode and any others will be on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rage Works. Uh, A couple of things, obviously, besides the new digs, and uh, the new video and tons of other stuff that we're still trying to work out. Uh, we got lots on deck for this week. Uh, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event. We're going to get into Raw. We're going to talk about the wrestling news of the week. 
But before we do that, a couple of announcements. First, there will not be a gaming and entertainment edition of the show tomorrow. Uh, we will be heading to a podcasting conference downtown. So by the time I get home, there will not be sufficient time to do a uh, gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. But in its absence, of course, you will have the archived version of this show. I know that Jay is working on a brand new episode of the regular season sportscast. And I know that you can expect a brand new episode of Black is the New Black. Uh, see this? Nothing wants to work tonight. Nothing. Anyway, as I was saying, uh, we're going to try and get those shows out by no later than Friday. I know Jay is working on his show now, and our show, given that there will not be a gaming and entertainment edition, uh, the archived version should be available by uh, late tomorrow evening. A couple of other things, of course. Uh, We will be covering Toy Fair uh, starting from the 13th through the 15th. We're going to try and work on some stuff there with regards to that. We're going to try and give you content not only across our usual channels, but we're also going to be doing it via Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're working on some stuff with Facebook that hopefully we can have go live uh, just in time for the show. Um, we'll see how that goes, but we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, definitely, definitely trying to relish and leverage all our platforms Uh, You know, one of the things with Snapchat, especially lately, I know you guys have been seeing me promoted a lot. Uh, Just another way to reach you guys, give you guys some other content. Like I said, I've been relishing in Snapchat, partially because a lot of people have been putting me onto some of the stuff I was missing from that platform. And it worked out fairly well thus far. I mean, we got a pretty decent following. I'm going to try and throw the snap code in the show notes for you guys to follow us on there. Uh, For those of you that are on Instagram, you probably noticed that... The Instagram handle has changed from Rageworks underscore Rich to just plain Rageworks. Uh, pretty much the only reason I did this was because uh, they are going to enable multi- multiple accounts on Instagram, and I want to make sure that Rageworks has its own account. And if anything, I can have my own personal account in the future. At the end of the day, my content is pretty much Rageworks content to some degree when it comes to social media, so we're definitely going to try and do more with that in the future. Uh, Some people were asking, when are we going to be on Google Play, given that Google has announced uh, podcasting capabilities? Well, we are working on that. The only thing is, we do not want to put up the main My Take Radio feed. What we want to do is instead uh, create a Rageworks network feed, which is essentially what the My Take Radio feed has become, and give that to Google Play so that all the shows may go on there. We're also looking to create individual RSS feeds for the other shows as well. And that's one of the things that has been uh, a little bit more troublesome than I would have liked. Uh, obviously, with the uh, move to the new studio space and a lot of the work that's been going on there between painting and furniture and wiring and internet it's it's been a uh, a very action-packed couple of weeks but we're hoping to have that finalized uh no later than probably first week of march second week of march only because i don't want to undercommit and you know say that we're going to have it done by the end of february and turns out to not be the case but the main my take radio feed will be being renamed to the rageworks network and that will have all our shows And then, like I said, we can start creating individual feeds 
for the individual shows for you guys to get them if you want a particular show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, etc. We're going to start doing that. But for now, uh, the my, the main My Take Radio feed is going to be the repository for all that. And um, hopefully we can make that migration. Like I said, uh, second week of March is looking more and more possible. Um, like I said, I, I really wanted to get that done at the start of 2016. That way we could have started in the new space with the new channels, artwork with the new lower thirds, everything else. But shit gets in the way folks. And because of that, obviously certain things got to be reprioritized, but I did want to take the opportunity to get in this space first. Uh, that was priority one only because this space is going to not just be for the shows. We're going to start doing more unboxing videos. I'm sure those of you that are following me on uh, you know, YouTube via official Rageworks are going to start seeing more videos. Uh, we actually just put up the review for the LG V10. I uh, had a lot of fun putting that review together, uh, shooting in the new space, trying to get some stuff done, trying to create something special, unique, and similar to what we offer here. Like we're not, we're not trying to give you super techie, over the top stuff. You know, you guys got The Verge and a dozen other outlets for that. We want to give you stuff that's real, uh, live, and that can resonate with you. You know, if, if people want a 20-page dissertation on the specs of a phone, there's other p- places for that. If you want to know if the phone is good, if the shit works, if the camera is awesome, uh, can it take a beating, uh, what kind of video resolution it has, and you want it explained in in a in a language and a jargon that that you can vibe with then that's where we come in we're not trying to we're not trying to reinvent the wheel we're just trying to put better rims on it that's all we're trying to do so definitely if you haven't subscribe on youtube at official rageworks that's where all the videos all our reviews and all our coverage is going for those of you that have subscribed to my take radio tv on youtube you're more than welcome to keep that subscription we're going to continue putting episodes of the show there. Obviously, that was the channel that got the ball rolling, and um, that's the channel that's really grown leaps and bounds over the last couple of years. But we're not going to phase that channel out. I know some of you were concerned about that. It's not going to be the case. It's just, you know, an extra upload, an extra upload or two a week, depending on the shows. But both channels are going to be kept. I think it's something that is essential only because that's what people... That's what brought us to the dance. Don't want to alienate all those people, but um, definitely try and subscribe to Official Rageworks if you have not already. All our content is going to be there, and we're going to be doing a lot of stuff at Toy Fair, a lot of video, got a lot of cool toys and a lot of gear that's going to help us give you guys some of the best coverage possible. If you got any questions or there's anything in particular you want to see, do not hesitate to reach out via social media or email me. And we will try to accommodate you. As I said at the start of the show, we're going to get into this week's uh, UFC, this past weekend's UFC event, the week's MMA news, and of course, the wrestling news, including the Raw recap of the week. Feel free to call in, interact, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. You can also join us on mtrlive.com now and use the chat function and participate that way. You can also watch the video stream, depending on how clear it is, or you can listen to the pure audio feed via Mixler. Just scroll down and look for the live audio tab and click play there. 
Otherwise, you can get the Mixler app for your mobile device and catch the show that way. Just punch in My Take Radio. All right. So with that, let's get into this week's MMA stuff. We got lots to discuss, including uh, this past weekend's very solid, solid UFC event. Let's get to it. So this past weekend, we had the UFC on Fox for once, not Fox Sports 1 or any of the other offshoots, but legit Fox Channel 5 or 505 HD, depending on your cable provider. And there were a lot of intriguing and compelling matchups throughout the evening. I was really, really looking forward to seeing Anthony Rumble Johnson uh, scramble Ryan Bader's brains, uh, particularly because I feel that Anthony Rumble Johnson is a guy that's on the verge of of superstardom in the light heavyweight division, which is incredibly stacked at 205. No disrespect to Ryan Bader. I think Ryan Bader is a solid fighter, but I think that Rumble is just on on another level, and um, we're going to get into that. But I did want to pick out a couple of fights that I really, really enjoyed from the card. First and foremost, I did want to discuss what happened with, and and everybody's been talking about this, but I did want to talk about what happened with Sage Northcutt first, only because Sage Northcutt came into this card, uh, incredible amount of found fa- uh, fanfare, excuse me, taking a taking on a fighter who was a substitute for his original opponent. Obviously, the UFC has hitched their their wagon to this kid's uh, to this kid's horse, so to speak, and um, you know they really thought that they were going to have themselves a bona fide star and. To a point they did. I mean, don't get me wrong. The kid has a marketable look, uh, is in, in incredible shape, uh, well-spoken, you know, white. Not not that race has anything to do with it, but, you know, if we want to call a spade a spade, you know, th- these are things we got to look at. It's like, you know, the great white hope. And considering that the UFC machine has pretty much hitched their wagon onto so many different fighters and... Some have gone bust and others have just developed into their own personalities, i.e. Conor McGregor. Um, many people were hoping that this kid would lose strictly on the premise that he was considered, quote unquote, the UFC's golden child. And I want to I want to really dig into that a little bit. And the reason is because, um, you know, you're looking you're looking at a kid that was on the UFC's radar did nothing out of the ordinary except be a good fighter, have a good look, and be talented. And the guy got picked up. It's not the fighter's fault that the organization has deemed him this quote-unquote savior. That's something that the organization has done to themselves. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not doing himself any favors either, but in terms of how the UFC cultivates their fighters, they, they do it in such a way where... If you love the fighter, they're in your face so much that you end up hating them. And I've seen this happen to uh, fighters like Ronda Rousey, uh, fighters like John Jones, Chael, and and a host of other fighters that are incredibly talented, super marketable. But the UFC just tries so hard. It's like it's like a kid with a new toy. They, they they play with it so much that they end up breaking it. And this is what happened with Ronda Ronda Rousey in particular. Uh, was was a, a shining example of this. Now, this isn't to say that you know Ronda's other 
you know, outside of the cage exploits contributed to her losing. Once that cage door closes, it's you and your opponent. Nobody goes in there with you. And if you can't execute, it's on you. But I will say that the UFC goes out of their way to leverage the popularity of X fighter and Y fighter because they know that they have a very small window. In Ronda's case, they just kept cranking it out there, cranking it out there. Uh, they tried to do it with Paige Van Zant. Obviously, uh, Rose Namajunas derailed that hype train. And with Sage Northcutt, I think they had learned their lesson. They were starting to scale it back a bit, and they realized, damn, we can't really thrust so much on this kid because this kid, you know, he he, he has a long way to go. And sure enough, uh, this guy, uh, Brian Barberena, came in um, really... Uh, a pretty decent outing for the kid, especially in the first round. I mean, Northcutt looked really good in the first round. You can see that his technique was really crisp. Um, his striking definitely was on point. Uh, second round, things started to get a little crazy, and um, Northcutt got taken to the ground. And at that point, um, you know, it was it was pretty academic in the sense that that Barbarina leveraged top position, started working short elbows, got a cut at the top of the uh, the eyebrow. And he ended up setting up an arm triangle and putting on the squeeze and stays Northcutt tapped out. Some people are saying that, you know, that, that uh, Barbarina broke his spirit. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that you go in there with the expectation that you're going to get your spirit broken. But there's a lot of factors that you have to consider. Both fighters were, in essence, in, in the case of Barbarina, he was taking the fight on, you know, really short notice and Northcutt probably his camp tried to watch as much tape on this kid as possible and you can't account for any of that stuff things change as soon as that door closes and I think that with a proper camp maybe the fight wouldn't have gone the way it went but I also feel that as the level of competition improves uh the Northcutt hype train is going to be tested and like anything else it's not really the wins that dictate your career it's how you come back from your losses because what happens is anybody that's constantly undefeated and has never tasted adversity and is just running through opponents and has never been humbled in defeat has no way to learn what it means to be you know to 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 work on both sides of the coin so to speak i mean you look at ronda rousey ronda rousey's loss to holly Holm broke her mentally And this is because, you know, she's very ultra competitive and there were expectations and things that were that, you know, she expected to perform in. And you can be as good as you want to be, but a punch in the face is a punch in the face. And either you adapt and overcome or you don't. And this was this happened with Rhonda. This happened with Paige Van Zandt. This happened with Sage Northcutt. And I'm sure that Dana White is praying to the gods that. Rafael Dos Anjos doesn't do that to Conor McGregor. Otherwise, pretty much every guy that they've quote unquote hitched their bandwagon to is going to fall by the wayside. And oh no, guys are going to have to create themselves their own, you know, they're going to have to become their own stars. Um, in Conor McGregor's case, I have a nagging suspicion though that the the fanfare that the UFC had for him is losing its luster. And the reason is, and I was talking about this with Jimbo Slice uh, a couple of weeks ago, that Conor McGregor views this sport as a means to an end. He views this as a business relationship, and, you know, he goes out there, he executes, he expects to be paid, and he's generating the most revenue. And because of that, the UFC 
you know, has to kind of kowtow to a lot of his demands. In the case of what I've been hearing and reading with the Fertitas, uh, the act is starting to get a little stale. And it's because Connor is viewing himself as a partner and not as an employee. And this is one of the byproducts, and I've talked about this before, it's one of the byproducts of taking a, a fighter, uh, thrusting all these um, these accolades on him and just letting the guy run roughshod through you know, every every press conference, every division, I mean, every press conference, every event, and letting this guy just become his own enigma. If if you don't try and harness that and leverage that to build your own platform, the guy's going to become bigger than the sport. And I think that McGregor feels, not that he is, but he feels that he is bigger than the UFC. And that's that's a that's a big thing. That's a very big elephant in the room. For, for Dana White and the Fertitas. I mean, guys like Sage Northcutt are young. They're moldable. You can kind of, you know, you can kind of navigate them the way you wish. But, you know, seasoned veterans that have tasted fame, have brought in, you know, shit tons of money, have a different outlook. I mean, a guy like John Jones is a great example. John Jones gets a lot of shit for a multitude of reasons. But at one point, he was the UFC's golden boy. This guy was looked at as the as you know the face of the sport. Uh, this gener- the the mixed martial arts Muhammad Ali, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what ended up happening was Jones ended up leveraging the ability to sell fights on his own just by no longer being the cookie cutter all American dude. And what ended what ended up happening was the guy ended up becoming you know the villain. And he realized that being the villain was more lucrative than being the hero. And sometimes it becomes a period of self-awareness for some fighters. Some fighters, they they find what works and they run with it. Other fighters are going through a period of, of reinvention. And other guys, they just put on a mask, a facade, just hoping that that facade takes off and they can leverage that into something new. It, it, it's not like the old days. In the old days... When Vanderlei Silva got in the cage and he looked at his opponent and he had that serial killer stare, you knew that that wasn't an act, that that guy was a tried and true psychopath. You look at guys like Rampage, same thing, tried and true maniacs as soon as that bell rang. But then you look at other guys, you look at guys like Chael, Chael, Chael talks a good game, but the, uh, the majority of Chael is, is and was an act to a point. Um, same can be said for Rhonda. Rhonda is, is not all, you know, she's not, she's not how they try to make you think she is. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's a badass chick and, you know, she has her, 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 her edge, but you know, she's, she's, she's still mostly a girl next door. She really is. And, and this happens with countless others. What in the Sage Northcutt case, we can only hope that, you know, he learns from this. I mean, for Brian Barberena, this is a this is huge. This was a huge moment for him to derail the Northcut hype train, and um, definitely want to see where it goes for him. Only because you know this kid had an incredible amount of, fa- of fanfare going in. The next fight I want to talk about. I want to talk about Josh Barnett's fight with Ben Rothwell. John Josh Barnett came in ranked number eight against Ben Rothwell. Of course, Josh Barnett is an elder statesman. In the world of mixed martial arts, this guy's been fighting for as long as I've been watching the sport. 
He's probably one of my favorite heavyweights, uh, master of catch wrestling, uh, also does pro wrestling, really approaches the sport exactly like that. He comes out, he cuts promos. Uh, he's, you know, he's got it. He's just got an awesome look to him. I've watched him fight during the dream, the dream events in Japan made me a huge fan. He's trained, uh, guys like, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. and countless others in the finer arts of catch wrestling. And I think it's made those individuals better. I've always felt that Josh Barnett is a bona fide wrestling superstar and all he needs is a company to pick him up and leverage that. I think that with his record right now, he's 34 and seven. Uh, he's been fighting for a long time. I think that Josh Barnett may have one or two more fights in him, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was picked up by uh, TNA or New Japan or WWE in some capacity, only because he has the look. He's a big dude, a uh, really amazing wrestling pedigree, and he has the charisma to execute in a professional wrestling atmosphere. But in this case, we are talking about his Octagon career, and um, I was I was really, really shocked by the outcome of this fight. Not to take anything away from Josh Barnett. Josh Barnett, um, you know, is, is a stellar fighter, and not to take anything away from Ben Rothwell either, but I kind of felt that Barnett had the edge on experience, but Rothwell just came in. He was, he was in, in fact, the better fighter that day. Um, he caught a very, very interesting guillotine they're, they're called i forgot what they were calling it um i believe that there was a name a specific name for that guillotine choke some people are saying that it's the uh 10 10 finger guillotine um but at the end of the day he ended up choking out josh barnett this is the first time that barnett has ever been submitted in mma um it was it was a historic moment only because again the guys coming in 34 and 7 record has been fighting for years never been submitted, and to see that was tremendous, and that just shows how the sport of mixed martial arts is evolving, and you're seeing guys that are, you know, knockout artists, or guys that are brawlers and sluggers, uh, stepping it up, you know, improving their, their game as a whole, not just being, you know, one punch knockout power, or incredible ground technique, but uh, a mixture of the both, and not even an overwhelming mixture in the sense that one one ability supersedes the other but these guys are becoming more and more well-rounded i was thoroughly thoroughly impressed with with rothwell's performance i was heartbroken as a as a barnett fan but i respected it i respected the way it was executed i respected the approach to the game and the fact that you know he was just you know rothwell was the better man that day uh, definitely a solid solid co-main event now, the main event for the card was Anthony Rumble Johnson, ranked number two in the light heavyweight division, squaring off against number four, Ryan Bader. Um, a lot of people were looking at this as a contender eliminator match, and I felt that way only because Anthony Johnson, you know, he he had a, a poor showing against Daniel Cormier for the vacant light heavyweight title. Uh, with John Jones back in the mix, it's inevitable that that's a fight that we're, we're going to need to see. And Johnson definitely made a case for himself coming in with um, just beautiful stand-up. You know, they were, there was uh, a reach advantage for him coming into this fight. He had about a four, three to four inch reach. And, um, you know, fight went to the ground. 
Uh, Bader tried to set up a Kimura, but, um, you know, Johnson ended up passing into full mount. And, um, you know, he, at once he got his arm free, he just started wailing on him, wailing on him. Ryan Bader gave up the back. And at that point, Rumble just kept, you know, bashing his fucking dome in. And Ryan Bader goes out, you know, flat on his face. It was definitely a, a solid performance uh, from Anthony Johnson, uh, victory via KO, a minute and I believe it was 20 seconds, 22 seconds in the first round. Um, definitely a solid fight. I think he made a strong case for himself dispatching Bader so quickly that he deserves to be discussed when it comes to uh, contendership opportunities in the light heavyweight division. Obviously, at this point, it becomes a who's who. Um, you're seeing... Anthony Rumble Johnson, you're seeing Alexander Gustafson, John Jones, of course, and Daniel Cormier. Uh, you know, 205 is a very intriguing, uh, very, very solid uh, division right now. There's so many great fighters, so many killers in that division. We know that Cormier and Jones is inevitable. Uh, UFC is looking at possibly April to have those guys square off. We're still looking at uh, the possibility of MMA being sanctioned here in New York State. Obviously, that would be a great opportunity to get a fight like that at Madison Square Garden. A lot of lobbying going on, a lot of money being thrown around, and, um, you know, something that we're going to be watching very closely, but uh, the UFC is definitely looking at April as a possibility for Jones-Cormier 2, and as much as I like Daniel Cormier, John Jones is is on another level, on top of the fact that Jones is already eyeing a run at heavyweight, we'll get into that later on in the segment, But UFC on Fox was a very solid event. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt that the fights definitely delivered. Um, You know, there were some some fights that they went the full distance, but they were just as enjoyable and just as entertaining as the fights that did not go the full distance. And these are the things that really make a card worth watching from bell to bell. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's switch gears and jump into the MMA news of the week. First up, uh, fight bonuses, 50 grand were handed out at UFC on Fox 18's event. Uh, Anthony Johnson, of course, took a performance bonus. Uh, ben Rothwell took a bonus as well. And Uriel Cantara and Jimmy Rivera took the fight of the night bonus. Uh, definitely uh, great performances from all those fighters. I, I did want to talk about the, Al- the Alcantara fight, but uh, it just it just slipped my mind. But it was it was a very solid fight. I know that the highlights for that fight are on YouTube. So definitely check it out if you get a chance. In some fight card news, um, MMA Junkie is reporting that UFC Fight Night 86 is starting to come together. Gabriel Gonzaga is going to be taking on uh, Ruslan Magomedov. Also on that card, Jan Blasco is taking on Igor Prokryats. And, um, you know, that fight is starting, that card is starting to come together, airing April 10th out of Croatia. Uh, not sure how they're going to broadcast that. I have a feeling we're going to get a. Uh, UFC fight card pass out of the deal. Um, you know, we're going to get a um, UFC fight pass ca- card, excuse me, out of the deal. We'll see what happens there. Uh, curious to see uh, Ruslan Magomedov and Gonzaga only because Gabriel Gonzaga is a fighter that he has highs and lows. Sometimes he comes out there, gets a devastating knockout, puts everyone on notice. Other times he gets dispatched just as quickly. So curious to see which, you know, quote-unquote version of Gonzaga shows up for this fight, I am definitely intrigued, and I want to see that for sure. 
another fight that's coming together, and I can't, you know, this fight, I'm shocked if if one of these guys doesn't end up retiring after it's all said and done. Uh, Lyoto Machida will be meeting Dan Henderson at UFC on Fox 19, uh, taking place April 16th in Tampa, Florida. Uh, definitely something that I feel is almost, um, I, I want to say this is honestly a retirement match for for a guy like Dan Henderson. I, I love watching Hendo fight. He's an incredible athlete, probably one of the toughest guys in the sport today. But, um, you know, he, he, the, the couple of losses that he's suffered have not been pretty. Um, I'd love, I'd love to see him go out on top in this fight, but Machida, depending on which version of Machida shows up, um, it, it will be very interesting. I mean, you know, they're fighting at light heavyweight, so definitely, uh, an easier cut for a guy like Dan Henderson who's a little older. I think, um, you know, if Machida uses that elusive fighting style of his, and I say that in quotes only because people clown that style a lot, uh, I think he can take the fight via decision, but I don't think his chin is capable of withstanding an H-bomb from Hendo. So um, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, my buddy, the fight nerd, is in the chat. He says, Machida versus Hendo is still a compelling match, even with them both past their prime, and that says a lot about them. I, I agree. I think it is a compelling fight. I think there is... Uh, tremendous opportunity for either guy to get a you know a shot in the arm for their careers, but I do feel that especially in Henderson's case, you know, father time is definitely more so against him only because you know no more TRT exemptions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that's not taking anything away from him. The guy's an incredible athlete, but I think in in that regard, I think Machida just has a little bit of an edge. But in terms of raw power. You got to give it to Hendo. I don't think Machida's ever been hit like that in his life. And um, I think Henderson might be the guy to test that theory. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely pumped to see the fight, but I definitely feel that depending on the outcome, one of these guys, well, Machida maybe not, but I think Henderson may kind of be nudged towards retirement. We'll see what happens. Mark it down on your calendars. April 16th, April 16th uh, from Tampa, prelims of course fox sports one and um on ufc fight pass so once i find out more fights i will definitely let you guys know ufc 196 of course uh which was formerly ufc 197 sees the uh, super fight between rafael dos anjos and conor mcgregor and um of course holly holm and misha tate uh both belts are uh, well in Rafael Dos Anjos case, his belt is on the line for the lightweight title. Holly Holm, of course, defends her women's bantamweight title. A lot of great fights on that card, but a new one was added. Um, Amanda Nunes taking on uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, that was added to the card again. March 5th is when this goes down. Uh, definitely mark it on your calendars. I think that, um, you know, those two championship fights alone are reason enough to tune in, but you also got... Tom Lawler fighting on that card, Jim Miller's fighting on that card, squaring off against Diego Sanchez, which I think is going to be a fucking war. Uh, Diego Sanchez, of course, is going to go out there like a fucking warrior and bleed for us. And Jim Miller is always good for an awesome scrap in the cage. I think those are going to be fights that definitely are going to be can't miss. And of course, uh, you got your two title fights, which, you know, if McGregor beats Rafael Dos Anjos and captures the belt at 155, the, the shit talking is going to reach astronomical God tier levels. And it's going to really make uh, a very, it's going to make a very compelling argument 
for McGregor, you know, pretty much being in control of the organization at this point. The fight nerd adds, Hendo will never retire. They will have to scrape his carcass out of the octagon when he's in his 80s. You know, I, I agree that Hendo will never retire, but he may they may do with him like they did with um, Chuck Liddell, where they had to make an executive decision and they had to be like, look, dude, we're pulling the plug. You're welcome to go fight someplace else, but we'll give you a job at the front office. You show up, you sign some autographs, you take some pictures, and that's it. But stranger things have happened. I mean, look at Randy Couture. Randy Couture left on, you know, somewhat bad terms with the organization. And um, not to say that we've never heard from him again, but he's just found uh, success elsewhere, obviously, with the Expendables franchise and showing up in made-for-cable movies and being a a pyromaniac on Hawaii Five-O. Uh, I think the natural has, you know, his, his bankroll is pretty well, well stocked for the time being. If you are a, uh, a satellite radio listener and you listen to the Opie and Jim Norton show, you may have heard that um, Dana White revealed that Cain Velasquez is set for back surgery. Um, he's obviously been wounded quite often with surgeries on his shoulder and his knee um, over the last few years. Uh, Dana White did did give us a little bit of insight during his appearance on O&J, which feels so weird to say. Uh, he said, Kane has got problems with a disc in his back and he's actually going to have surgery. The good part is it's not going to be long. He's going to have the surgery and we'll probably need four weeks to recover. So that's good news. Um, I've, I've spoke about this on, on previous episodes of MTR and um, Kane's, Kane's injuries are, are crazy, you know, and I think part of that is the way that these guys run his training camps. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's an explosive fighter. Uh his wrestling is is top notch, but you have to you have to look at guys like him especially coming off of so many injuries. You you almost got to encase those guys in a bubble the last couple of weeks before uh their fight takes place only because they end up becoming the walking wounded and in cases like Verdum who was who has injuries of his own that were nagging, they it just throws certain cards into disarray i mean in kane's case right now you don't you you're hesitant to put him in verdum as a main event and you may actually end up putting him as a co-main strictly because you run the risk of him becoming injured once again in some capacity which is unfortunate kane isn't an old dude but i do feel that his training camps are definitely not totally conducive to you know getting him ready adequately i feel that Every time he goes into camp and he's getting ready for a fight, an injury pops up out of nowhere and derails his, you know, his entire road roadmap towards the title. I mean, it's happened with the knee. It's happened with the shoulder. It's it's really crazy. I mean, I know he wants to get in there and fight Verdum and avenge that terrible loss that he took in Mexico, but I, I feel that his camp is not doing him any favors. And again, that's just that's just my opinion. That's my take on the matter. But I, I just feel that it's not it's not working the way it should when it comes to Kane. If anybody, you know, cares to share any insight, by all means, definitely would love to hear some, that's for sure. Last week Bellator had uh Bellator one forty eight in uh Fresno, California. I got to watch some of the fights only because I was actually working on some stuff down here, so I I haven't actually run uh cable box into this room. Uh, for the sake of not being distracted, but I did get to see um, Paul Daly kill Andy Urich 
via knockout punches in the first round. Paul Daly is just an amazing talent. Um, really scrappy British brawler. No, amazing hands. Great knockout power. He has that inevitable fight with Josh Koscheck on the horizon, which yours truly is looking forward to, especially because his fight with Koscheck in the UFC is what got him essentially kicked out of the UFC for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're saying for life, but I feel that UFC, much like WWE, it's never say never. And I think Paul Daly's just just continuing to rack up the wins in devastating fashion is going to make for a pretty strong case to test his skills against the UFC's best. I know that Paul Daly and Koscheck's fight is going to be a fight that we cannot ignore because it is going to be everywhere. They're going to leverage the shit out of it. They're going to use every outlet possible to make sure to remind us that these guys genuinely hate each other. I'm definitely pumped for their fight. I was um, another fight I was bummed about. Uh, speaking of Randy Couture, his son Ryan Couture fought on that card. He fought a uh, uh, Patricky Ferre, and um, he ended up losing via knockout in the first round as well. So definitely a tough break for Ryan Couture. Uh, but on the bright side, Bellator has a nice uh, shot in the arm courtesy of Benson Henderson. Benson Henderson announced on social media that he has signed with Bellator. Uh, we're going to get into that a little further later on in the segment. But the signing of Benson Henderson creates a very, very um, compelling environment in Bellator. I mean, one of the reasons why Bellator is starting to look attractive to so many fighters Aside from, aside from the fact, obviously, that you're getting Spike TV, um, you know, you're getting premium cable access, uh, no need to worry about pay-per-views, and, you know, the, they're, they're very friendly towards uh, some of the more elder statesmen of the UFC. It, it paints an interesting picture. The only thing with Bellator is, and I've said this before, you can't turn it into a freak show, a dog and pony show, because sometimes that hurts the organization. Don't get me wrong, the occasional, uh, you know you know, Ken Shamrock or Tito Ortiz fight or, you know, um, Hoist Gracie in this case, it makes for, for great television, but you can't just rely on those names. You got a solid crop of talent there from King Mo to Paul Daly to Liam McGeary, um, you know, Benson Henderson, who you just brought in Josh Thompson. It's not like Bellator is starving for talent. They got a lot of good guys in there. I definitely feel that they have the potential to really step up and be a, a competent number two organization. The only problem is that obviously their their roster sometimes feels a little bit depleted on top of the fact that I just feel that they're not being promoted as efficiently as the UFC was. And that's that's something I feel that is is definitely lacking, especially because they have so many great stars there. But We'll see what happens. I mean, the signing of Benson Henderson is definitely a step in the right direction, and um, there's more to it, which I'll discuss later on in the segment. In some John Jones news, everybody's been talking about the light heavyweight champion putting in work in the weight room. Uh, many people are forecasting uh, him making the run to the heavyweight division sooner rather than later, and he actually did a Q&A on Twitter recently. And people were asking him, you know, what his roadmap is, what's he's gonna, what's he gonna do? And he said that he feels he has three more fights at 205 before making a move to heavyweight. He wanted, to, of course, to fight Daniel Cormier, Anthony Johnson, and Alexander Gustafson. Now, obviously, Cormier, he's gonna want to fight to regain his title. 
uh, Gustafson, he's going to want to fight strictly because there are, you know, there's unresolved issues between those guys. Everybody feels that Gustafson is the only guy capable of beating Jones. I disagree. And, um, of course, of course, Anthony Johnson, uh, makes a very compelling case after his victory against Ryan Bader in such devastating fashion. I definitely would, would not have a problem seeing any of those fights and John Jones making the move to heavyweight. I think he's leveraging on the fact that, you know, guys like Kane are, you know, injured or I, I kind of feel he's looking at that division as easy pickings, uh, in terms of establishing dominance in heavyweight. But I also feel that there's a lot of dangerous guys up there, guys like Roy Nelson, guys like Ben Rothwell, uh, guys like Josh Barnett, whether you, you want to accept it or not, Alistair Overeem, the list goes on. There's definitely a, a, an influx of dangerous heavyweights that are going to want to test a guy like John Jones that's going to be making that jump into their division. We'll see what happens, but those three fights at 205 are worthy of, of pay-per-view uh, pickups, especially for me. I think that... Jones has a lot to prove his, you know, road to redemption. It has to go through Daniel Cormier first and the other two fights are just icing on the cake at that point. Uh, my buddy, the fight nerd says, uh, Bellator seems focused on gimmick matches to boost ratings. They're in a tough spot with promotions and marketing as a whole, but nabbing more UFC guys will make them much more viable. I agree. I think that the gimmick matches are a gift and a curse. I mean, you know, the the Kimbo Slice Ken Shamrock freak show that that was was it, it, I it didn't do those guys any favors. Uh, Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie, these guys, you know, they're there's they're legends in the sport, and I think that they have the capability of going out there and delivering a a pretty decent fight. I think both guys, you know, are dangerous. You can't take anything away from either one of those guys. You try to fight Hoist Gracie whether he's, you know, 60 years old or 30 years old or whatever, you know, whatever age in between, he's still going to choke you out with your own shirt. That's just something that you cannot ignore. Ken Shamrock, same deal. I mean, Ken Shamrock is is probably, you know, one of the toughest dudes I've, I've seen in the sport. Uh, he's a little crazy, a little unhinged, but you cannot ignore the toughness of that guy. And, you know, guys like Kimbo Slice, Dada 5000, who, who are squaring off, in the next Bellator event, you know, Kimbo Slice um, is is not as marketable as he used to be, just because nobody gives a shit anymore. But uh, you know, it, it, fighting a guy like Dada Five Thousand, I understand that you know they have their own beef, but leveraging that and expecting people to want to tune in is just it's it's not fair play, in my opinion. The fight nerd adds, uh, Kimbo versus Ken will be a thousand a hundred times better. Then Ken versus Hoist, and that's pretty darn sad. Ken outweighs Hoist by a ton, and seeing how easily Matt Hughes dispatched Hoist, I don't see Hoist being able to do much to Ken. You know what? It's it's easy to say that on paper, and the reason I say this is because I think that Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie, in terms of ability, are in different places, but in terms of the fight going to the ground, I, I do feel that you know the fight can go either way. Uh, from a stand-up perspective, of course, Ken Shamrock has pretty decent hands. But in terms of just seeing two veterans, two two of the guys that paved the way squaring off, there's there's significance there in the sense that people are going to want to see that just because that's something they grew up watching. Like, that was one of the first fights I watched from the UFC was, you know, Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie. Uh, definitely, you know, it was, it was one of the fights that really put me on the path to becoming a fan of the sport. And 
it demonstrated that you don't always got to be the biggest dude or the most jack dude to to be the victor and um yes ken shamrock is a, is a big dude he's jacked but um you know it's it's one of those things where people may tune in because the names are going to draw them in. But to quote what Kimbo Slice said, watching Gracie and Shamrock fight is like watching The Rock back on Raw. And, um, you know, that's the thing, too. It's like the the freak show fights, the nostalgia fights, they're great, but they don't do they don't do nothing for the legacy of these fighters. Like Ken and Hoist Gracie, I'm going to watch because, again, these were the guys that set the stage for the sport. And these are the guys that are going to, that are going to, you know, that pretty much laid the foundation for what we see nowadays. Is it going to be amazing? Probably not. But, you know, it's one of those things where Bellator, I'm sorry to say, has to start moving away from. Bellator needs to leverage their talent. You want to do, you know, a, 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 a master's, a master's weight class with guys like Shamrock and Hoist Gracie and some of the veterans, that's fine because you can do that as a special attraction with a master's division. But don't go and take money and, and, and airtime away from guys like Josh Thompson or Paul Daly or Liam McGeary or Patrice, uh, Ferre or any of these other guys for the sake of putting, um, you know, Shamrock and Gracie or even Dada 5000 and Kimbo Slice as your main event. It's, it's an, it's an insult. I mean, don't get me wrong, all the sponsorship money and all the revenue that these guys are going to get is great, but at the end of the day, you're fighting to be the face of the organization, and when you're competing against guys who, you know, laid the groundwork, it, it's not, it doesn't make it compelling in my opinion. That Again, not to take anything away from those guys, but I feel that you cannot sell a, an, an MMA card with Kimbo Slice or Ken Shamrock or even Hoist Gracie. I'm sorry, but no. Like I said, a masters a masters division or or something special, special attraction, that's fine. But don't do more than that. Don't don't do more than that because it's it's hurting your organization. It's hurting them. And on top of that, it's really hurting the legacy of, of these guys. Because they go out there, I mean, watching Tito fight Liam McGeary and just watching Tito get get you know, picked apart was just, it was sad to watch and watching Kimbo slice, you know, beat Ken Shamrock. And I say that in quotes because that, that, that fight was questionable. And, you know, I watched that fight on three separate occasions. And on a fourth occasion, I watched it with Jimbo slice. And we felt that that fight, the, the entire way that that fight played out was incredibly suspect. And that's, you know, that's a conversation for another day, but Bellator, Bellator is better than that, man. They got, they got good guys, but like I said, you know, with the signing of Benson Henderson, um, who will be debuting at Bellator 153, he's coming in, uh, to challenge for the welterweight title, which is pretty impressive. I mean, Benson Henderson has been a contender in every division he's been in and to come in and challenge for the title. Some people are going to see that as, you know, jumping, you know, jumping to the front of the line, but in terms of marketability, you might as well leverage the guy if you signed him. Now, when Benson Henderson spoke with ESPN, he said that one of the reasons that he signed with Bellator was because he felt that Bellator was friendly and allowed him to earn additional income due to sponsorships. Uh, he said, and I quote, I won't lie, it was a very big deal. The ability to get sponsors on your own and not have to rely on the amount that Reebok dictates to you, uh, dictates to you, excuse me, was a huge factor. I'd be straight up lying if I said it wasn't 
a very big part of my decision to go to Bellator. I also want to be a trailblazer for the betterment of fighters. Bellator is open to a fighter's union. Fighters binding together to see what's in our best interest. That's something you can't even breathe about elsewhere. I think it's a good thing for myself and other fighters to have that. You know, this is something that that we've talked about before, myself and Ben, on previous episodes. And it's that, uh, you know, a fighter's union is something that the UFC, I'm sure, is not, is not, you know, it, it's something that I know they're going to frown upon. But I think it's something that down the road, if, if they expect to be taken seriously, uh, it needs to be formed. I mean, there's an NFL players union, uh, you know, an NBA union, NHL, etc. And if you want to be considered the big boys, you have to allow your, your fighters to unionize. I mean, it's something that it's bound to happen. I'm sure it's not going to happen right away, but I'm sure as more and more fighters, uh, start going to other organizations and start speaking about that, I'm seeing that becoming more and more of a possibility. And when guys like Benson Henderson, who are, you know, good, good ambassadors for the sport. I mean, Benson Henderson's a pretty stand up guy, you know, the way he markets himself. I think that hearing that from him makes it very interesting. That's for sure. Uh, the fight nerd adds, uh, Bendo has every right to make the jump. If guys from pride did that when they jumped to the UFC, it just makes, it makes just as much sense for Bendo. So haters can hate, but he has already earned his shot based on his rep. Very true. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think that he has an, uh, he has full on, uh, he has a, a resume that, that validates a title opportunity. That's for sure. Um, I'm happy for Benson Henderson. I'm looking forward to seeing him fight at Bellator 153. Like I said, he's taking on Andrei Koroshov, uh, who is, um, you know, in the main event for the welterweight title. Uh, that's going down April 22nd. So if you're a Benson Henderson fan or just want to see a good Bellator card, um, I think 153 is going to be one that can't be missed. All right, last bit of MMA news to wrap things up, and uh, it involves Ronda, because why wouldn't it? Uh, but not in the way you think. Uh, Ronda's head trainer, Edmund Tarve- uh, Tarvedian, I'm, I'm, I'm probably b- brutalizing that guy's name, um, was issued a three-month suspension by the California State Athletic Commission for falsifying his application for a cornerman's license. Uh, MMAfighting.com has said, that um, he was fined $5,000 and given three years probation. As a result of the ruling, uh, he cannot corner fighters in California or in any other states that are members of the Association of Boxing Commissions. Uh, it turns out that the reason for this suspension was because he, al- he initially had his license suspended in January because he was arrested in 2010 on two felony counts of identity theft and one count of resisting arrest. When asked if he was arrested or had any criminal offenses, he wrote no. Uh, because of that, obviously, they they found this out, and it led to his suspension. Um, he pled no contest to the charges uh, that he was charged with. He ended up being sentenced to one day in jail and three years probation, along with 30 days of community service for those charges. But he lied on the application going in to be a corner man, and that's a big no-no from the commission. And considering... You know how vocal Ronda Rousey's mother's been about him as a coach. Uh, this isn't doing the guy any favors either. So there you have it. Uh, he is suspended. Uh, he's um, suspended for three months, five thousand dollar fine, and three years probation. Uh, definitely not a good time for them. Uh, as for Ronda, her match with Holly Holm definitely not happening anytime soon. Obviously, Holm. Uh, defending her belt against Misha Tate. Ronda is, I know, working on, I believe, two films and is still 
pretty much a lock for a rematch at some point in 2016. The UFC obviously is not uh, committing to any dates given Ronda's schedule, but I'll be honest, if Ronda comes back and she loses, she's probably going to retire at that point just because it's you know, she's she's super competitive and it takes a toll on her psychologically. Plus, much like Gina Carano, you've made the jump to Hollywood. You're pretty much still a badass and there's a lot more money to be made without being punched in the face. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this week's MMA segment. As always, keep it locked here to MTR and Rageworks for all the latest in MMA. Let's get this ball rolling and jump into some wrestling. Let's uh, cue up my buddy Booker T, who will take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, so I want to open the I want to open up the wrestling segment this week with um, a little bit of a breakdown from this past Monday's Raw. Obviously, like I've said in previous shows, trying to move away from the match by match by match recap and just kind of giving a, a general uh, overview on what I think of the show. Um, the The opening promo, as always, Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman was stellar, uh, but I really felt that the real star out of that promo was Dean Ambrose. I think that the company realizes that they have a viable, viable wrestler in Ambrose that is marketable. The crowd is into him and they don't have to do much with his character. I mean, with Roman Reigns, we already know what they're trying to do. They're trying to mold Roman Reigns, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And, you know, the crowd is is torn with him much like they are with John Cena. It's not it's a little different with a guy like Dean Ambrose who the crowd ended up gravitating towards without the company doing anything. And I feel that this promo, while the opening promo was a good way to obviously make Brock Lesnar a credible threat going into Fastlane, I also feel that it did a lot for Dean Ambrose solidifying him as a bona fide badass. I think they did a good job with that. And I think that that is something that uh, you can't ignore. I think that in, in the grand scheme of things, Dean Ambrose is a guy that you could really start grooming as your, you know, this generation Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I say this with a with, with with an asterisk. And I say this because you cannot replicate the Attitude Era. You can't. And more times than not, I see people on message boards, on social media, chat rooms, you name it, talking about, oh, we need to bring back the Attitude Era. We need to bring back the Attitude Era, the Attitude Era this, the Attitude Era that. The Attitude Era, as I've said it before, was lightning in a bottle. It was a one-time occurrence. It will not, it, it cannot be repeated, and it will not be repeated. We had a lot of things in our favor during the Attitude Era. We had a more, um, you know, we had a more open look at, at professional wrestling in the sense that wrestling ran with less of, uh, less oversight. You had hardcore matches, you had brawn panty matches, you had scantily clad girls, you had, uh, you know, certain, you know, sexual innuendo, strong language. There were things that were prevalent in the Attitude Era that I hate to say just doesn't happen nowadays. And I say this because, the, you know, it's the, it's the pussification of our culture. 
the softening of our culture. You know, there's, there's, there's always somebody that's watching the product that's looking to be offended and doesn't understand that this is all part of a story, a well-crafted narrative that takes place every week. And don't get me wrong. Last week I talked about what they did with Lana and her exchange with the rock and how I felt that, you know, you don't need to go that in that direction to, to establish a character, whether it be male or female. But I see this only because it's the easy way out. Like if you watch a promotion like Lucha Underground, and and I'm going to be honest, you watch Lucha Underground, Lucha Underground crafts amazing stories and tremendous narratives. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to look at and be like, wow, this feels like, you know, a Tarantino flick or, you know, something, something along those lines. But the fact is that it's, it's wrestling gift wrapped with, you know, it's theatricality gift wrapped around wrestling. And I think that that's important for them and it works for them. That doesn't mean that WWE should replicate that because WWE cannot execute in that capacity. That's not what they're good at. It, it's not. WWE is, is all about spectacle and leveraging talent. And I say leveraging talent only when it's the talent that they deem their, their quote unquote, you know, their, their rising stars, the faces of their organization. Everybody else kind of falls by the wayside. It's, it's the upper card and some of the mid card and then everyone else. That, that's really it. It's the Roman Reigns, the Brock Lesnar's, the Triple H's, the John Cena's, uh, you know, the Seth Rollins, maybe the Dean Ambrose, and then, you know, guys like Sheamus and, um, Alberto Del Rio and Wade Barrett and Bray Wyatt. And then after that, it's, you know, social outcasts. Like, I hate to say it, but when it comes to, you know, stuff like this, a lot of people complained on, on Twitter. I saw they're like, oh, another raw with a fucking promo. It's like, I, you know, I understand that it's, it starts off. It's, it's a lengthy promo, but it's a lengthy promo from Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman does a pretty good job of, of putting over both his client, Brock, and of course the talent themselves. And it, it, there's worse shit. We have seen worse shit. And, and that's where, that's where I say that you can't, you can't hate everything. You can't. There's worse shit that happened during Raw than, than Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar starting the show. Uh, Kalisto had a US, US, well, a non-title match. Uh, against Rusev, obviously Alberto Del Rio was on commentary. Um, I think Kalisto, they're booking him right, using a lot of that Rey Mysterio booking, a lot of those big man, little man matches, which is fine. But you also have to establish the fact that you you have a, a bona fide luchador who is healthy. You know, a victory via pinfall is fine because Rusev is this big monster of a dude. But you have to remember. You're, you're taking a guy who has a ton of marketability at his disposal. He has a catchy chant. He has masks that you can sell to the kids. Uh, he, he can, he's, uh, you know, able to be utilized with a Latino audience. Uh, he works very fluid, no botches, like Slick just said in the chat. And yes, you know, a count out victory against a massive guy like Rusev, understandable, but you need to let him go out there and compete on an even level. Don't get me wrong. Kalisto is not beating Brock Lesnar unless he hits that motherfucker with a chair and drops the announce table on him. And even then it's debatable, 
but you can't you can't just you know stick to the the tried and true count out or surprise roll up. I mean, it's fine, but if you do that too much, you're gonna hurt the mystique of the character. Kalisto is an incredible wrestler and super marketable, and if they don't do anything to take advantage of that in a in a in a in a beneficial capacity both for him and for the company he's just going to go the same route that Rey Mysterio did where when Rey Mysterio finally became relevant it was too late he had too many injuries and he himself was sour with the company and you don't want that you don't want that with a guy like that because you went to to, to such great lengths to bring Rey Mysterio in and it wasn't until Eddie Guerrero died that Rey Mysterio reach the brass ring there needs to be a change in culture in terms of how wwe looks at their performers you need to understand that a guy like kalisto can be world heavyweight champion um a guy like uh kevin owens can be world heavyweight champion a guy like i don't know heath slater can be champion at some point and you have to move past the fact that the guys have to be super jacked or have to be six feet tall, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand that there's this this stigma that you want, you know, and it's the Vince McMahon, uh, you know, muscle monster look that, that works. But at the end of the day, people want to be entertained. And it's funny because I remember I had a conversation with, with Jimbo Slice a couple of months back, and he was like, yo, man, I just want to be fucking entertained. That's it. I want to be entertained. And if I'm not entertained, I'm not watching the shit. Whether it's matches or angles or whatever it is, the dude said, he's like, yo, I want to be entertained. And you know what? He's not alone in that because the the people I've spoke to who have stopped watching wrestling over the last year have said, they're like, yo, I'm just not entertained anymore. Like, you know, so like when CM Punk and those guys were there, it was entertaining because those guys were capable of mixing the entertainment portion with the wrestling portion seamlessly. Now it just feels like a lot of the same regurgitated stuff every week and to a point i can see that but i also understand that there's going to be highs and lows and right now we're kind of in the middle the middle of the of the slope so to speak not not super in the dumps but not super at the top of the food chain either but you know i digress i i do want to talk about the Miz tv segment with aj styles um i think they did a good job with that i think they're doing a a, a solid solid buildup towards you know aj's ascension into the upper card you're you're sprinkling little bits of his moveset here and there you're acknowledging a lot of his accolades the only thing that bothered me from this past monday was how jerry lawler not jerry lawler excuse me um yeah well you know what let me let me reference jerry lawler when aj styles wrestled um on smackdown and he took on um curtis axel Jerry Lawler went out of his way to play up being a heel announcer, which was weird, especially towards AJ Styles. Oh, you know, nothing matters until you wrestle in the WWE, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. I I really felt that that Lawler was going out of his way to not make AJ, not put AJ over. Now, I don't know if that was because of, um, you know, you know, if it wasn't, from Vince or whatever the case may be. I just felt that Lawler was going out of his way to not make AJ look good. I mean, Mauro Ronaldo did a great job uh, putting AJ over. I think that Michael Cole did a solid job and Byron Saxton did a, a, a solid job. But I feel that 
The only way that people are going to get into AJ as a performer is A, if they do their own homework, or B, if you just let the wrestling speak for itself, because the the color, the color commentary team is not doing him any favors. Um, Jimbo Slice says, unless the company's seeing a steady decline in their profit margin, they ain't changing shit. (laughs) You know, he's, he's, he's right. He's right to a point. And the reason I say this is because there's, there's certain changes that they're going to do strictly because they just don't want to deal with the bullshit. And, and, you know, being a socially aware company, and I say this in the sense that WWE monitors everything, um, you know, there's guys that have said that WWE, you know, has accounts on Reddit, has people go through Reddit, uh, Facebook, everything, just to see how certain performers are being viewed and certain things are being viewed. And sometimes they they acknowledge them and sometimes they don't. I mean, there were f- at least 15 websites that talked about Lana having heat backstage and, um, you know, Rusev kind of def- deflected from that. Uh, by acknowledging something on social media. So I, I'm sure that it's stuff is out there and they're acknowledging some stuff, but to Jimbo slices point, um, you know, they're not going to change things drastically until it affects the bottom line or until the ratings are just so shitty that they got to do something risky. I mean, we've seen that before where there was a big slump in ratings and then they brought in Vince and Vince kind of popped the ratings for a little bit with his work with Roman Reigns. And then, Excuse me. And then the ratings came back down. You know, AJ Styles debut at the Rumble was big. The Raw after the Rumble was big. But again, now the ratings are kind of back to regular. And again, this is without Monday Night Football and just regular programming. These are things that you have to look at. Drastic changes, you know, unless the rating is complete dog shit, definitely not happening. But there are certain things that they are kind of moving towards. I mean... Uh, you know, Roman Reigns winning the Rumble was a, was, re, let me rephrase that. Roman Reigns not winning the Rumble was, um, was huge because if they would have done that, they would have ruined any chance the character had of, of getting over with the mainstream audience once again out the door. So definitely uh, a step in the right direction, leaving Ambrose in there last against Triple H. That was all really, really good stuff on their part. But the Raw after the Rumble, good. This Raw, Kind of paint by numbers. Um, you know, there was a Nikki Bella surgery update, which of course led to a Brie promo, which of course led to a match with Charlotte, which Charlotte won uh, via quick roll-up, which of course is going to lead to her challenging Charlotte for the title at Fastlane. Obviously, this is an obligatory filler feud. Uh, nothing good is going to come out of it. Obviously, the bigger buildup is Sasha Banks and... Um, you know, Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch and Charlotte. That's where the real, that's where the real payoff is. The, the Brie Bella thing is just filler. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It just, it just didn't really matter at this point to me. I just felt it was, it was pointless. Uh, the big show feuding with the Wyatts. I understand that they were, you know, taking advantage of the issues that happened with them on SmackDown a few weeks back. No one cares. Um, Tyler Breeze's match with Titus O'Neil, no one cares because, you know, Tyler Breeze, they've essentially shelved him and Titus O'Neil, they're doing nothing with him. So doesn't even matter, but Dolph Ziggler and Kevin Owens had a really good match as is to be expected because both guys are incredibly talented. Um, I kind of feel that Kevin Owens is floating in limbo at the, at the moment. I mean, he did the match with 
with uh, Dolph Ziggler. There's rumors that he's going to be working a program with Sami Zayn. But um, definitely one of the high points of the night. Those guys have great chemistry. It's a shame that there's no titles on the line for for these guys. Because just the match that's there for the sake of having a match, it's good. But I really feel that, you know, putting a belt out there and making making the matches meaningful is a big part of what can help guys like Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler find some direction. I mean, they work so well together. They have so many good matches. But... The match is just there for no reason. Oh, these guys have existing history. Great, but why are they fighting? What's the purpose? Where's it going? Is there a, a contendership opportunity in the works? No. The um, Sasha Banks match with Becky Lynch, as soon as I saw Team Bad come out, um, originally they had filmed the breakup for uh, Sasha Banks and Team Bad on SmackDown, and then for some reason they edited that out. I think they wanted to save the breakup for Raw, which was better, because I obviously, you know, it, it just, it was pretty much obvious at this point that it had to happen, and um, I see it the way, the way I see this is that by breaking Sasha Banks away from Team Bad, you're looking at an opportunity for these divas to compete for what matters most, and that is the women's title. Obviously, the factions are great, but it became, and many of you may agree with this, the same matches every week, every week. Some combination of Team Bad versus, um, you know, PCB versus uh, the Bellas. It just, it just got real stale only because there was just a lot of infighting with no clear direction on where the characters were going. Now that you're starting to break them apart and just, you know, focus on what matters most which is the title, I think we, we have the potential to see some really great matches. Obviously, I, I hate to tell you guys, but it'll be a while before you see NXT caliber women's wrestling matches on Raw and SmackDown. Only because, obviously, there are time constraints, there's um, there's less focus on the women overall, and um, it's it's a shame because that's that's what people are looking for. My my whole thing is that you're taking, um, you know, you're taking the factions away, you're taking the crutches off of these women, and you're allowing them to go out there and wrestle. We can only hope that they're allowed to wrestle the same way they did when they were in NXT, and it isn't just the hair pulling bullshit that we get um, on Raw currently. The New Day took on Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose to close things to close things out for the evening. Obviously, we knew that it was going to end up with with Brock Lesnar coming out and killing someone dead. Um, Reigns and Ambrose took the pinfall, of course, beating the New Day. And Brock Lesnar coming out killing Dean Ambrose was a, a no brainer at this point. Obviously, with uh, we were we saw the foreshadowing of that when Triple H was like, "Yo, you're going to let Dean Ambrose come out there and clown you," and um, you know. We knew that we were going to go that direction, and obviously you needed Brock Lesnar to go out there and make a statement. Um, the New Day continue to be probably one of the high points of Monday Night Raw. As I said, there were a lot of really great references in that match, especially uh, nothing beats at one point where Kofi Kingston hit an uppercut, and he said toasty like in Mortal Kombat. He was like, toasty! It was it was cool to see that real inside uh, you know, again, pop culture, gaming. If you're if you're into the same shit that that you know we're into, and those guys are into it. I mean, Xavier Woods, who wrestled as Consequences Creed, has been on my take radio 
on at least two separate, three occasions. And you can look for those past episodes in the archives. And, um, you know, he'd, he'd come out, we'd chop it up about video games and Ninja Turtles and 80s cartoons and Comic-Con and our favorite heroes and wrestling. And you can see that in their gimmick. Those guys are going out there and they're not only having a great time, but they're, they're doing something which very few wrestlers are allowed to be. And it's themselves. If you watch uh, Xavier Woods' Up, Up, Down, Down uh, channel on YouTube and you see all the games that the superstars play and you start seeing the real superstars out there, you know, not characters, not cheesy personas, but the genuine superstars, you'll see who has real charisma and who doesn't. Uh, Great example, uh, Rusev. Rusev was playing Street Fighter I believe it was with Xavier Woods and Rusev is a, you know, he's pretty good at Street Fighter and, you know, he was talking trash, having a good time, kind of gimmicky in his gimmick, but not. And I think that it was, it just showed a different dimension of the performer. Uh, Same thing goes with Seth Rollins and those guys during the Madden tournament that they were doing. You start seeing, you know, genuine emotion, genuine chemistry. Um, And that's something that the New Day has mastered. Those guys, individually, they're good. Together, they are great. I mean, Kofi Kingston, incredible athleticism. His mic work with the New Day has been stellar. And if and when he goes on his own, this this experience is going to make him a better performer. Big E, same thing. He's able to work the comedy gimmick. Thank you for the share, Slick. Uh, you know, Big E's able to work the comedy gimmick, but he's also able to be, you know, the big guy, the tough guy, the monster and and it's good for his character. And Xavier Woods is just an all-around, um, just incredible athlete, super smart, excellent on the mic, and just capable of being a great cowardly heel. And I think that the New Day is, like I said before, one of the high points of Raw. Not not only this week, but every other week. They've been stealing the show both um, you know, in the ring and out of the ring. And even the stuff that they do for the network... Uh, the stuff they do for WWE.com, it's it's stellar. It has been stellar, stellar work. Um, if you guys are, are are on the fence about the New Day or you think their gimmick is kind of whack, uh, realize that their gimmick is probably the biggest breath of fresh air on what is considered by many a cookie-cutter stale product. So uh, definitely props to the New Day for, for them kicking ass every week. Uh, definitely solid. Um, Props also to, to Ziggler and Owens who had a great match and are making the most of their situation just hovering around mid-card hell. Um, definitely was really impressed with them and hopefully the Divas will start showing us something more than hair pulling and forearms to the face going forward now that Team Bad is broken up, PCB is broken up, etc., etc. We'll see what happens. Anyway, let's shift gears. Let's go into... The wrestling news of the week. Uh, first up, uh, of course, TNA announces their re-signings. So Ring of Honor had to remind us that they've locked up some of their talent too. Uh, they announced that they have re-signed uh, Jay Lethal and Red Dragon. Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly have both been re-signed with the company. I know there were a lot of rumors floating around that Jay Lethal was being scouted by WWE. Uh, same thing with Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. So I think that... Ring of Honor announcing their uh, re-signing with the company was done not only to let people know that those three gentlemen were going to be with the company for the foreseeable future, but also because they knew that those were guys that were being scouted by other companies. Jay Lethal, 
uh, probably one of the best unsigned, re- well, unsigned uh, WWE, you know, all stars that I think would be an amazing asset. Um, I think that he has the look, he has the mic work to really be a stellar performer in WWE. I definitely a guy that I'd love to see there mixing it up with those guys. Uh, Red Dragon, some of the best tag team performers that Ring of Honor has on their roster, besides being dangerous and entertaining on their own. Fish and O'Reilly as a tag team can't be beat, especially now with the departure of Michael Bennett and Maria Kanellis. You know, the, the kingdom's future is pretty much kaput at this point. So guys like Red Dragon are, are, are individuals that you need to lock up, much like the Wolves, which TNA locked up. You know, they did, they definitely did the right thing, you know, keeping those guys because those guys definitely are capable of delivering stellar, stellar matches. WWE announced something very, very special. They have an NXT talent uh, named Adrian Jaoud, who was signed recently. And um, on top of him being a promising NXT talent who has yet to debut uh, during NXT, I believe he's wrestled non-televised and he works at the Performance Center um, Adrian Jaoud will be competing in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He is on the Brazilian wrestling team, and this will be the first time ever that a WWE talent has competed in the Olympics. Now, obviously, the WWE assigned former Olympians in the past, including Kurt Angle, Mark Henry, and of course, Chad Gable, but this will be the first time that an active WWE performer is actively involved in the Olympics. So definitely very cool. Uh, WWE made it a point to share that. I think it's also very cool to see uh, WWE represented in the Olympics, obviously, uh, not in a um, not in a, in a storyline perspective, but in a genuine, real environment. So uh, props to Adrian Jaoud for that, and um, definitely a, a nice thing for NXT, because I'm sure they're going to be mentioning that all over the place when the 2016 Summer Olympics are in full swing. On the TNA side of things, it's not a it's it wouldn't be a week of TNA without some sort of uh of controversy. Well, in this case, the controversy is courtesy of Awesome Kong, who was sent home during the first day of the TNA tour of the UK because she got into a fight with Rat, with uh Matt Hardy's uh wife Rebby Sky, uh which is Rebecca Hardy. Um, TNA had to put out a statement about it, but um, allegedly this stems from the fact that there was a pre-existing beef between both women, which escalated during the UK tour. Um, For those of you that have been watching TNA, you'll know that Matt Hardy, his wife, and even his infant son have been on television quite frequently. Matt Hardy, now TNA World Heavyweight Champion, has been on TV quite a bit and, you know, now that he has Tyrus, who was formerly with EC3 as, as his heavy, um, you know, he's been relegated to a giant babysitter who essentially carries Matt Hardy's child around on live television. Um, some people view this as, as really over the top and stupid on TNA's part, having an infant uh, during these live events and incredibly loud venues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I personally think that uh, the bigger issue is that these women got into an altercation. Uh, Re- you know, Rebby Sky's baby was not too far away, and that t- that TNA was forced to make some sort of an announcement. Um, 
you know, there's two story, versions of the story. The first is that, you know, Kong tried to attack Rebby Sky and it was stopped. The second, um, you know, is that Awesome Kong did get her hands on Rebby Sky and whooped her ass uh, before TNA uh, officials were involved to break them up. Uh, definitely not a good, not a good look for TNA in any capacity. Number one, you have, um, you have, you know, Matt Hardy's wife backstage with an infant, uh, get into an altercation with one of their performers within, you know, a decent, a, a decent distance from the small child. I mean, Awesome Kong is, is a take no business, uh, take no shit, uh, woman. She don't fuck around. She beat up Bubba the Love Sponge when he was in TNA at one point, uh, during the Hogan era. And that was because he made some racist comments and he deserved that ass whooping. Um, but there's, there's a lot of things here. Obviously, Rebby Sky running around with, with an infant child backstage and all this bullshit on tour. Is it necessary? Do you need that? Do you really need that? I understand that it's part of Matt Hardy's gimmick to get him over and to really vilify him and make him hated. But is it mandatory that you have your infant child on television? Every week, you're bringing your kid into an arena with pyro and people that are loud and all this shit. It's not a good look. I mean, it's cool if you wanted to do it when he won the belt. That was fine. But the fact that I'm watching like random episode of Impact and I'm seeing I'm seeing an infant on my television is just crazy to me. It's crazy, you know. And and the fact that you know Awesome Kong had no problem beating this chick's ass in front of her kid is a separate issue all its own. But nonetheless. Not a good look for TNA, not a good look for Awesome Kong. You know, we don't know if she's going to get into any trouble, what kind of repercussions are going to come of this, but, you know, Awesome Kong and TNA is is probably one of the better, better highlights of their program. I mean, when she came to WWE, we expected big things, and obviously, you know, she, um, she had the miscarriage, and just things did not go the way they should have, and she had to depart from the company, but I think that, you know, you look at Awesome Kong, you see an incredible performer, uh, a chick that takes no shit, and if there was, uh, you know, underlying beef, pre-existing beef, and people knew about it, they definitely should have nipped it in the bud before it escalated into something physical. That's for sure. In some Lucha Underground news, I got a press release from El Rey stating that Lucha Underground will be getting a third season and that production is scheduled to begin immediately. Uh, The current season of Lucha Underground is underway and it is fucking amazing. If you guys thought the first season was off the chain, the second season is fucking bananas. Between, you know, uh, Katrina and um, Mil Muertes running uh, Lucha Underground Temple, you got Pentagon Jr., you got, you know, Joey Ryan, who's going to be there. Rey Mysterio, it's tremendous. Matanza, who is, who's, whose arrival is imminent. There's so much shit going on in Lucha Underground that you need to, you need to watch it. You got to find a way to get El Rey and watch it. Um, I was using the, uh, the Sling app on Xbox Live and, and you can use that. Obviously, I think they give you a three, a 30 day or a, or a 90 day trial. You could leverage that and watch Lucha Underground or try and find it on um, YouTube or etc. You know, whatever means you can. You need to watch it. Lucha Underground second season is leaps and bounds more amazing than the first. And that's crazy to say. Crazy to say. But they've been they've been knocking it out of the park from their first episode through their latest episode, which I'm actually going to watch 
after I wrap up tonight's show. I got to watch that. I got to watch NXT. I know Slick had wanted to talk about NXT, but trying to set up the video for this week uh, took a little longer than expected. Hopefully, um, after the show and over the next couple of days, we'll, we'll rectify that and I can watch Lucha Underground or at least NXT before we go on air so we can chop it up about that. Uh, the other bit of news I wanted to talk about, and I shared this on RageWorks.net and on social media, was uh, Bret Hart's uh, prostate cancer diagnosis. Of course, he went on um, social media and he acknowledged that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, will be going under surgery, uh, will we'll be going under surgery within the next couple of days, and um, will be fighting, fighting this, you know, and it's crazy because again, you know, to see this, to see a guy like Bret Hart, who is a, who's a pretty private guy for the most part, just put, you know, put his, put his life out there on social media and acknowledge, you know, he's got, Hey, I got this prostate cancer diagnosis and I'm going to fight it. And you know, I don't give a shit, but I'm going to win it is, is crazy. Just, you know, it's, it's obviously a very brave thing to do. Because, you know, cancer, cancer is one of those things, man. We, you know, most of us that are, that it's affected in some capacity or another, we know, we know how the shit works. So, you know, to see Bret Hart, um, acknowledge that and for the outpouring of support to come in both from, uh, mainstream media, sports, you know, sports figures, various athletes, hell, Madison Square Garden even had it on their marquee. I know that, um, GFQ's Andrew Zarian shared a photo on social media of the Madison Square Garden marquee, uh, you know, letting Bret Hart know that they, that they, you know, they're, they're, they stand with him. They believe in him and they know uh, they wish him a speedy recovery. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that we've lost so many veteran wrestlers over the years that we only got a handful left, you know, some which are currently active and some that are not. And, you know, a guy like Bret Hart, who's been uh involved in so many iconic moments, whether it's, you know, stuff with Shawn Michaels or stuff in WCW, whatever the case may be, um, you know, to see that. And, you know, we can, we can only hope that, uh, you know, he, he takes this head on and he's able to beat this and, you know, can live a long life, but, you know, we're going to be monitoring this story very closely and we will be sharing updates as we get them on future episodes of MTR and on rageworks.net. In another bit of news, of course, you may have noticed that both Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas were missing from Raw on Monday night. They were uh, written off because of an issue going on with uh, Robert Windham, formerly known as Blackjack Mulligan. Uh, PW Insider reports that he was hospitalized in Florida and that his condition was serious enough that uh, his two grandsons and, um, you know, his uh, his son-in-law and his two grandsons were going to go see him. Don't know if it's... Uh, you know, as grave as they're saying, but it, it definitely was serious enough that both Bray Wyatt and, um, you know, Bo Dallas could not be at Raw on Monday night to go see, uh, Robert Windham, uh, AKA Blackjack Mulligan. For those of you not familiar with, uh, Robert Windham, he was in both WWE and WCW during the eighties and nineties. Uh, he's in, he's been going through a lot of different health issues over the last couple of years. He had a heart attack, and, um, which I believe he had last year and a couple of other ailments as well. So definitely, um, you know, wishing, uh, Robert Wyndham a speedy recovery. Hopefully, um, you know, he's able to pull through and, uh, you know, we don't have to see another, you know, in memory of on raw for the foreseeable future, but we will see what happens. Obviously I'll keep you guys updated with regards to that as well.
Last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up involves Marty Jannetty of all people. If you guys remember um, during a promo on Monday Night Raw, Stephanie McMahon referenced Marty Jannetty as um, one of the people, you know, one of those examples where, you know, a turn comes from out of nowhere and the other person doesn't see it coming. Uh, Marty Jannetty was not a fan of being referenced in the promo. Uh, he said that bitch just say what I think I heard on raw Steph. Should I remind the world? All them kids might not be hunters. Um, definitely not a good move on Marty Jannetty's part. I doubt we will be seeing him on WWE programming in the near future, much less ever. Um, I don't think that what Stephanie McMahon said was, was offensive in any way. I think that she just was citing some of the most iconic heel turns of our generation. I mean, Marty Jannetty getting kicked through the plate glass window by Shawn Michaels during the barbershop segment. No one will ever forget that because that was huge at the time. You know, it's, it's, it's no one will ever forget it. No one will ever forget that because that was probably one of the, I mean, you know, you have uh, the Hogan heel turn, obviously, you know, the Shawn Michaels heel turn, the rock aligning with Vince. I mean, excuse me, um, Stone Cold aligning with Vince and, turning on the rock and so many, there were so many different moments, um, triple H and Stephanie, obviously. And, and, um, you know, everything that happened with that, there, there's so many magnificent heel turns. Um, you know, you know, that, uh, that a tag team partner, there's always going to be one guy that's going to stick out more than another. And the company's going to end up strapping a rocket to that guy's back. And he's going to be, uh, the future of, I mean, they did it with the Hardys. They tried to do it with the Dudleys. Um, they did it with the British Bulldogs. Uh, you know, Davey Boy Smith, uh, you know, after a while, he was he was the guy that was just put out there constantly. It happened with the Hart Foundation. And it wasn't even all because of heel turns. Sometimes it's just because they went their separate ways. But a lot of times there were, there were legitimate heel turns. I mean, great example, not that long ago, Titus O'Neil turned on Darren Young. And Titus O'Neil went solo. It happened, you know, it's one of those things that we knew was coming and it happened. It went down uh, a guy like Marty Jannetty, not to take anything away from Marty Jannetty because Marty Jannetty was a good wrestler, but I just felt that after the breakup with Shawn Michaels, they just, they couldn't find anything to do with him. I mean, Shawn Michaels was the more charismatic guy. It is what it is. I mean, again, it's not a dig at Marty Jannetty. I think Marty Jannetty was, was a solid wrestler. And, you know, he was involved in one of the most iconic tag teams of my childhood being the Rockers. But aside from that, it's, you know, it was always about HBK. It's how it is. Now, you know, for him to be upset that it was referenced in a promo, there's there there's worse things you can, you know, there's there's worse shit out there to be upset about than you getting acknowledged on, you know, one of the largest wrestling programs on television today. It's not, it's not that bad, but, and then obviously to go for the, for the proverbial low blow by, by saying that, yo, your kids might not be your triple H might not be the father of your kids. It's like, damn dude, like, like shit wasn't that drastic. Fuck. Like, I understand you were upset, but you went for the fucking jugular immediately. So, um, definitely unexpected. And I have a feeling we will not be seeing Marty Jannetty in, uh, any WWE programming, uh, for the foreseeable future. Anyway, that bit of wrestling news is actually going to wrap up 
uh, the wrestling segment and tonight's show. Uh, before we close things out, just a reminder that there will not be a gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio this week, but we will be back with both shows um, for February 10th with uh, MMA and Wrestling and February 11th um, for Gaming and Entertainment. And of course, that weekend, we will be covering uh, the 2016 Toy Fair uh, here in New York City. So definitely keep it locked to our social media channels for coverage of that event. And of course, keep it locked to Rageworks for all the latest reviews, news, and podcasts from all of your favorite talents. Um, I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling for this week. I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out via social media at my take radio at rage underscore works. Um, also, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Rageworks. Uh, look for Rageworks on Snapchat. And um, you can find us also on Pinterest, Google Plus, and all the usual social media outlets. As for this episode of MTR, it will be available on video and audio format. Video format will be available within 24 to 48 hours on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. Audio versions of the show will be uploaded to iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio within 24 to 48 hours. Keep it locked there. And of course, you can get them also on the official My Take Radio app, which is $1.99. It's available for iOS, Android, and Windows mobile devices. We are working on hopefully making that app free in the near future, something we are looking at, and hopefully we'll be able to rebrand it as the Rageworks Network app. Again, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of MTR. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I will see you guys next week. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.